0: Hey everyone, and welcome to the July 2013 edition of the Learning to Lead podcast. So excited you could join us! This month uh, is a really special treat. I got to sit down with Tunch Elkin, who is a broadcaster for the Pittsburgh Steelers, and uh, it was absolutely incredible, incredible interview. You're in for a treat, as I said. Uh, a little bit about Tunch before we get started, and I'll let him take over in the interview. But Tunch actually played in the NFL from 1980 to 1993, and actually earned two Pro Bowl appearances in that time, uh, and he also served as the vice president of the NFL Players Association from 1989 to 1994. As I mentioned, he's the sports broadcaster currently for the Pittsburgh Steelers. And uh, something else that you may not know about him is he's actually the men's pastor at South Hills Bible Chapel. And uh, Tunch is just a phenomenal guy. I got to know him through my work at light of life rescue mission on the north side of pittsburgh uh tunch actually came down to the mission in in the late 1980s and served a meal at the mission and he said from that day forward his life has never been the same and uh, he's been supporting the mission ever since and he does so much for us and we're so grateful for that but just getting an opportunity to see him behind the scenes what i love about tunch is he's a natural leader he loves people and he loves god everywhere he go, he makes a difference. He's an influencer. He lifts everyone around him. And uh, his number one passion is, is just leading uh, leading men's ministry and getting men to lock arms and do life together and follow God together. And so uh, I think you'll really, really enjoy this interview. I encourage you to take notes. Uh, this was very, very impactful for me. I learned so much. I took away a lot from it. And, uh, and if you'll be open, I promise your life will be changed as a result of listening to this interview. So that's it. Thanks always for listening. Enjoy this interview. And Uh, I'll talk to you next month. Hey, Tunch, thanks so much for your time today and being willing to to do this interview. Why don't we just start off with uh, you telling us a little bit about yourself and your family and and what you're passionate
1: about. Well, I am a father of three. Uh, Tanner, uh, my oldest, uh, is uh, now 28. Natalie, my daughter, is 24, and Clay is 22. Uh, I was married uh, to uh, my college sweetheart, Sharon, for 30 years. We dated for five years, and prior to, to getting married, uh, you know, she passed uh, about a year and a half ago through uh, uh, from cancer. Um, you know, we had a tremendous life together. God gave me much more than I could have ever asked for. Uh I've since remarried uh, a beautiful woman, uh Karen, and uh we've uh, we are newlyweds and I'm just thankful that God has you know gave me a woman t- uh, to uh to heal my heart. Hmm. And um so uh, uh you know that's my family. I, I you know my passion has always been my family, my marriage, my children, uh my family and friends, uh, from a personal standpoint, um, just uh, being uh, being surrounded by the people that I love, and to be able to uh, to live my life accordingly. Uh, my passions also been my friends. I'm very very thankful uh, for the relationships that God has given me. Uh, you know, I uh, I thank God every day. I played in the National Football League for 14 years, 13 with the Steelers. Uh, I had the greatest job in the world. Uh, I had a chance to play football. And then uh, then when I left the game, uh, the Lord gave me the second best job in the world. I get to talk about it. Uh, I always joke and tell people you do broadcasting when you have absolutely no other marketable skills. <laughs> so I've been doing TV and radio for, uh, uh, for a long, long time, ever since I got out of the game in 1994. And um, the beauty of... Uh, of that job is it has kept me connected to the game to a game that i love um but it also has given me uh a platform uh for ministry uh very very thankful for the for the uh, opportunities that the lord has given me and my passion uh in ministry uh is to encourage and challenge men to be the men uh, that god has called us all to be uh i also uh, through my relationship with the steelers i Had the chance uh, to walk through the doors of Light of Life in 1987, and uh, been just uh, blown away by what God has done here. And uh, and in a kind of in a a nutshell, those are my uh, passions. I love to hike. I love to travel. I love to walk. I invented a sport. Uh, People don't know this called urban hiking. I just love walking cities, and uh, and so I always joke and tell people that I invented the sport of urban hiking. But I do I love, uh, love to walk. It's uh, one of my favorite things in the world.
0: That's great. So you're a professional athlete. Just looking back on that whole season of your life, I know you talked about a few things that created a platform for you. But if you had to summarize your entire experience and the impact that being a professional athlete had on you, what would you say about that?
1: Well, number one, Doug, I, you know, I never dreamt that I was going to play in the National Football League. I, You know, I went to a small school. I was small. Uh, I was small, but I was slow, so I had that going for me. And, uh, you know, I wasn't expecting to get drafted, so that was just, um, uh, you know, that in itself was God's grace. And, you know, I came to the Pittsburgh Steelers with all these Hall of Famers, and I played Uh, with some of the greatest athletes in NFL history, Hall of Famers, Mike Webster, John Stallworth, Donnie Donnie Schell, uh, Lynn Swan, Jack Hamm, Jack Lambert, Franco Harris, Joe Green. You know, uh, those guys were the the standard. And so I learned, I practiced with and against the standard, the best, the the very best. And so, uh, you know, I came to an organization who, uh, you know, they uh, uh, they were winners. For it, the time I got here, there were four Super Bowls uh, in the trophy case, and there was a, a sense on that team of just um, confidence. Uh, I, I wouldn't say cockiness, just confidence. They expected to win, and because of their success, they you know they uh, really bought into the into the whole idea of uh, mentorship. And, uh, and servant leadership and and so I, I, I came alongside or a bunch of guys came alongside me, John Kolb and Mike Webster and, and, and Larry Brown and Sam Davis and these older guys who were very very quick to share what had made them successful. And so, being in that environment, you know, not only did I did I learn about what it meant to be a better offensive lineman and how to work and how to prepare and how to watch film and how to come in early and leave late and what it meant to be the first guy in the locker room and the last guy to leave at the end of the day, but I also learned what it meant to be a uh, to be a committed and good husband and a and a father and a friend and uh, and a follower of Christ. I mean, I learned this from the men that God had put around me.
0: That's great. So talk to us a little about, you're obviously a leader. Would you consider yourself a learned leader? I mean, walk us through your leadership journey, or just naturally you were always a leader and never really given much thought to it, just who you are?
1: Yeah, you know, that's a great question, Doug, and I'm not sure I can exam- that I can answer that Um well, uh, you know, I, I just think about my life, and I and I've never set out to be a leader. I never said, you know, I never looked in the mirror and said, "I'm a leader." I never did it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I didn't. You know what? I, I, I think that I, you know, for me, I had always, you know, and I couldn't even tell you. I, you know, I know that there are a lot of books, seven, the Seven Habits of Effective Leadership, and the Four Principles, and the Ten. I, you know, the, I, I couldn't tell you. Uh, I couldn't give you a list. But I know this: when I see a good leader, I know when I, I know it. And and so, kind of my life, I, I would have to say I have gleaned from uh, people in in in my life that I wanted to emulate. I, I you know I, I go back to uh, to my high school football experience. You know, um, you know I was a captain as a senior. And I had a great, you know, I had a coach in, in John scornavaco and, and Coach scornavaco was this was so passionate about football, and he was so passionate about leading young men that I looked at him and I said, "Ooh, ooh, I, I like that. I, I, I want to be that way." And and and and so my personality was that way. So, you know, so I, I just, you know, I I saw that, and I wanted to be like him, and so I I emulated him when I. When I came to, when I went on to play football at Indiana State University, my offensive line coach was a guy by the name of Bill Dole, and and Bill was a fiery, uh, you know, veteran of the Vietnam War. He was a captain, and and he had this. Once again, he had this passion and this, and and he was a teacher, and I and I and I, and I learned so much from him, and he was such an encourager and such an affirmer. And I, he was the first guy uh, when I was in college, and I went to Indiana State University. Nobody from Indiana State went on to play in the NFL, and he said, "Tunch, I think you could play in the National Football League." And by the way. Back to John Squarnovaco, well, he was the same thing. You know, he, he said, "Tunch, you could play college football." So he was a guy that just encouraged me, encouraged me and affirmed me. And Then Bill Dole, Coach Dole, was telling me the same thing uh, when I was in college that I could play uh, at the, the next level. So both those guys had it really had the gift of encouragement. And so, you know, I, I said, okay, well, you know, to me, an effective leader is passionate and and and is uh, excited and, and he's a teacher and, and he's an encourager. So I, you know, I, I saw that about those guys, and, and I said, you know, I, that's what you know, that that's what I want to be, and and so I came to the Pittsburgh Steelers. And I, you know, I saw all these uh, uh, terrific leaders, and you know, beginning back to college, when I was in college, and I was a team captain, and I wanted to be an effective leader. So I, you know, I, I, you know, I emulated the guys that I learned from, and I think that they, you know, I think you're drawn to to people for certain reasons, and sometimes you have those, you have those same that same type of personality, and so I think that. From a leadership standpoint, I was I was uh, I was uh, attracted to leaders um, that maybe I was kind of like in in a certain way, uh, or guys that I wanted to be like. So, uh, you know, I get to the Pittsburgh Steelers, and you know, Chuck is a very different leader. You know, Chuck Noll, the great Hall of Fame uh, football coach of the Pittsburgh Steelers. He was a a guy that was a teacher first. I mean, every day was a lesson, Uh, whether it was in football, whether it was in physics, whether it was in vocabulary, whether it was in history, I mean, Chuck, you know, Chuck was a Renaissance man. He knew, you know, he was the smartest guy in, uh, in, in the room, and I knew that, you know, I uh, I didn't have that kind of intelligence, but I know this that the Chuck would spend uh, as much time more time teaching a free agent wide receiver who had probably no chance of making the team about football than he would a guy that was going to be an all pro he just spent that time because if you wanted to learn Chuck wanted to teach and so you know I would watch him and I went wow well an effective leader is an effective teacher and so I said wow that's you know that's what makes an effective leader and you know and and and, and, and at the time I don't I can I, I can't honestly say that I was making this very conscious list of leadership, but I knew that I was drawn to that. Uh, I was drawn to his teaching style, and so I said, "Okay, I, I, I want to, you know, I want to be able to teach uh, others." And then I met the chief, uh, uh, the owner of the Pittsburgh Steelers, and I don't think I've ever met a, a more humble man. And the first time I met uh, the chief, I was—it was actually before the draft. It was before I was a Pittsburgh Steeler. They brought three of us. Uh, um, they bought three of us guys uh, in for a physical before the draft, and uh, one of the guys was uh, Nate Washington, uh, or I'm sorry, Nate Johnson from Hillsdale College. The other was uh, Ted Walton from University of Connecticut, and me. And they, we went in for a physical, and we were in the lobby of the Steelers' uh, offices, and there in the the lobby were the four Super Bowl trophies, and there was this great mural of the AFC Championship game between the Steelers and the and the and the uh, Oakland Raiders, and. And so we're waiting to meet Chuck. We just met with the doctors for the physical. Once again, we're about three weeks before the draft. And the chief walks in. And the chief is dressed very, very casually. He's got a cardigan, and it's misbuttoned. And and uh, uh, he's got a golf shirt under it. And it's buttoned to the top. And he's chewing on a cigar. And he uh, you was know, back when... Places were not smoke free zones, so he's got an ashtray in a big ashtray in his hand, and he's dumping all the small ashtrays uh, into this big ashtray. And he walks in and he says, "Hello, young fellers, what are your names?" And so we each introduce ourselves before he can introduce himself. Uh, Nate Johnson goes. So, are you the janitor here? Oh man! And I'm like sitting there going, "Don't you know who that is?" And I'm just, uh, I'm, I'm so embarrassed for for for Nate. I'm just praying that the chief doesn't think that he and I are buddies, you know. And and the chief, what I loved about this was the chief was so honored that Nate thought he was. Um, the janitor, that he actually swelled up, his chest swelled up, and he said, he laughed, he goes, ha, ha, I do a little of everything around here. And awesome. and, and that humility, um, I found out, was very real and a very big part of his life. I mean, think about it, a Hall of Fame owner, uh, the president of one of the most storied franchises in NFL history, if not the most, is ent- emptying ashtrays in the lobby and uh, and so he um, you know so we just uh, uh, so we visit and then i found out that that the chief was a regular guy you know his mantra was always don't be a big shot don't be a big shot. And whenever he would see me in the halls during my playing days, he'd say, touch my boy, how are things in Turkey? He said, are they still killing each other over there? Just like Ireland. And uh, and that's the way he was. Uh, uh, he was just – he had this humility about him. And, uh, you know, I loved it. He'd walk from his home on the north side to Three River Stadium. You know, he was just uh, – you know, that don't be a big shot was, was just – and what a legacy because his son Dan – uh, the president, who was the president of the Pittsburgh Steelers for many years, also in the Hall of Fame. He had that same sense of humility. Art Jr., his son, who was the head of um, scouting for many, many years of the Pittsburgh Steelers, he had that sense of humility. Art II, who is the president of the Pittsburgh Steelers now, he has that. So there's this humility, this servant leadership, if you will, that uh, the Rooney family has that spoke volumes to me, and their involvement in the community. You know, their their involvement. They're saying, "Hey, if there's a, a an individual or an organization in help, you know, they're there. They want to help." Hmm. That's awesome. So. So as an athlete as as a
0: leader in the city, you have a significant platform, and god's given you that platform so I'm, yeah. I'm just curious how do you manage that? Did you always manage it well um and you know how do you view your platform today
1: you know i'm j- doug I'm just thankful that the Lord has given me some cool things to do i mean I, you know i i don't I don't know how i've done i don't you know i i i, I have the one thing that I've desired is that I am faithful to to god's to God's calling in my life. That's what I've wanted to do. And and it is in my desire to be able to encourage uh and help whether it's counsel, whether it's challenge. However, God would use me in specific um uh kind of circumstances. So, you I mean that's a tough question, you know, I didn't you know when I came to the Steelers, I I remember I I didn't set out to be a team captain. I just It just happened. I didn't set out to be um, the Steelers player rep, uh, you know, which is in in fact the union steward. Uh, I didn't. I didn't intend that to happen. It just. It just happened. Um, You know, when I uh, when I was uh, uh, on the executive committee, vice president of players' association. I didn't. None of that stuff. I mean, I'm thankful for because all those experiences really helped shape me as a man uh and um I, I, I can't i can honestly say that I, I don't i didn't seek heck i was late for a meeting that's how i became player rep you know i uh um you know i just uh, uh you know I, you know when my you know obviously we're at light of life right now on on western avenue and you know, I became a board member, and I—I didn't intend to be a board member. I didn't intend to be president of the board. I just, to me, it was a way to serve, and and all those uh, opportunities were a, a way to for for me um, uh, to serve, and and so um, it, it's kind of crazy. I mean, yeah. you know, some people have clear, you know, and and I know this uh, about. Um, I know this about a lot of people. A lot of people get a clear vision of what God has in store for them. And I've seen that, you know. Uh, I've seen that in in pastors that I've worked with. I've seen with that in people that have been called to, to, light, a, to, to light of life. And um, I don't believe that God has given me a clear vision. He gave me a clear vision along the way or where he wanted me to be. You know, I see it now in retrospect, you know, when I look back on it. And I say, oh, yeah, that's why God had me there. But I... You know, a buddy of mine, uh, Scott Keffer, always says is, "If God is moving somewhere, I want to be there." And and uh, I would say this that um, these these opportunities that the Lord has given me uh, are because I saw God moving. I wanted to be there, and I got caught. I, you know, it's it's almost like Jesus comes and He moves and He creates this draft, this current. And in my life, i have just, you know, I'm just. Jumped into the current or jumped into that draft, and and that's where God uh, has uh, has placed me. Um, you know, uh, to quote my buddy Scott Keffer, he used to always say, "We, you know, we need to be fat. We need to be faithful, available, teachable." Now, I know this. I'm not the brightest guy in a room, uh, so, but I can be faithful. I, you know, I can be available and I can be t- teachable. Those things I I, I can be. And I desire to be, and so um, so, whether it's men's pastor the light or the men's pastor at at, uh, at the Bible Chapel or how you know my opportunities to serve here and be involved in light of life, you know God is doing some really cool things, and and I just really want to be part of it. So I know I haven't answered your question because I, I, I you know I. I I can't evaluate myself. I I, you know, my my heart's desire is don't screw anybody up. I mean and and, and be faithful to uh, to to what what God wants me to do and and do it uh, um, with all my heart and all my soul and all yeah. my strength.
0: Yeah, I think you answered that perfectly, actually. So, I mean, we're talking a lot about God following the plan of God for your life, which is funny because you weren't always a Christian. So no. that wasn't always the case. And you have an interesting story, so we just share the story of how you came to faith and, and your background and everything like that.
1: Yeah, th- you know, I was, uh, before I gave my life to Christ in February of 1982, I was wilder than a March hare. Uh, yeah, I mean, I was, uh, I grew up, a, I grew up a Muslim. And, uh, uh, but really I, I believe that I, I worshiped at the altar of masculinity. I mean, that's probably the, the, the, the, the truest statement about myself before, um, before Jesus. And, uh, you know, I grew up in a you know Turkish, and the Turkish culture is very combative. We're very competitive. We're very prideful. We're very in the masculinity. And my dad, and my uncles were all tough guys, and I wanted to be a tough guy. And uh, you know, and I you know I come to the United States. And if you're an immigrant, obviously with a name like Tunch Ali İlkin, you're really different. <laughs> And so you kind of, uh, my buddy Leo Wisniewski says that I that I lived with the immigrant chip on my shoulder. And so, um, uh, and so, uh, you know, I was very competitive. I was very, um, you know, I wanted to fight all the time and, mm-hmm. in, in high school and in college. I had this edge to me. You know, I think it came from my insecurities. I think it came from looking for fulfillment in the wrong ways, you know. Uh, Blaise Pascal uh, says that there's a God-shaped void in the heart of every man, woman, and child that can't can only be filled by the person of Jesus Christ. And you know, God built us with that hole so we would desire Him. But we try to fill that hole with stuff, whether it's money, whether it's sports, whether it's relationships, whether it's drugs, whether it's alcohol. And I tried to fill that hole with all those things, with masculinity. And I think it doesn't take too long, you know, to live that way to find out, man, that this isn't getting it for me, you know. And and uh, through my college experience, toward the end of my college experience, you know, I just, you know, I, I was partying and I was going, you know what? I don't know why, but I, I this this lifestyle that I used to live that used to be bring me great joy now left me nothing but empty, uh, as Solomon would Solomon would say, like chasing the wind. And um, I grew very tired. I, you know, I remember going out a lot as a rookie. Like, you know, every night in the off season, we would go out. And I, I remember one night going, I don't want to go out anymore. I don't have fun we do this. This is, this is terrible. Why, why am I doing this? I'd rather just stay home and watch TV. Um, and I realized that, uh, uh, uh, that I was searching for something that I didn't have. And I, when I came to the Steelers, there were a group of men there who, uh, who had a sense of purpose and a sense of fulfillment, and lived a life. Um, I forget who. I think it was Pat Williams who used to be the owner of the. Uh, uh, of, of an NBA franchise, I think I heard him say this: um, that when he was when when uh, people started sharing Christ with him, he said they lived a life that demanded an explanation. I went, "Wow, that that's true," because I didn't know what it was about guys like John Colb and Donnie Shell and John Stallworth and Craig Wolfley, but they their lives were different and they lived a life uh, that demanded uh, a, an explanation. And so as I uh, as I was talking to them and i grew in my friendship with them uh if the one thing that that i found out quickly that if you talk to donnie shell and you or john cole and you ask them what the most important thing in their lives were they wouldn't say pro bowls or super bowls or money they would tell you that the most important thing in their lives was that they had a relationship with jesus christ and and they talked about god as if they knew him uh, because they did. And they talked about uh, about a God who would who loved them uh, because he did. And they talked about the sacrifice that God made on our behalf uh, by sending His son Jesus to the cross to do for me what I could never do for myself. And, and and that is to earn my salvation. That I could never be good enough. I can I could never give enough money to the poor. I could not help enough people. I couldn't do enough good things There was nothing that I could do that would make me right with God. For the uh, the word uh, Romans three twenty three says, "All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God." Uh, not some, not most, not everybody, but Mother Teresa, but all. And so uh, you know, I didn't have any trouble with that because I realized that I was a sinner. I was dark. Um, uh, but then in Romans six, it goes on to say, "For the penalty of sin, the wages of sin." In other words, what we earn is death, eternal separation from God. So that sin separates us from God. So that, that not only do we all suffer a, a physical death, but we also suffer a spiritual death, which is the eternal separation or hell. Uh, I mean, let's call it what it is. Yeah. And uh, but the gift of God is eternal life, and that is in this, in, in Christ Jesus. And so I was like. It's like, wait a second. So you're telling me this, that um, that although I can't earn my salvation, God gives it freely, and it is through the cross. Uh, I mean, that really turned my my world upside down, Doug. When I first heard that, I went, "Wow, it's a gift. It's a gift." And so when Christ hung on that cross, He was sin on my behalf. And uh, Craig Wolfley was my roommate. Craig and I roomed. You know, we were. We've been brothers forever. Yeah, 19, 1980 when we were rookies. But we roomed together, uh, most of our, almost all of our careers together on the road and in training camp. And Wolf was, um, whose father was dying of leukemia, and and, uh, and Wolf, uh, who grew up in a Christian home and loved Jesus, and you know not. Uh, Without fault or without sin, obviously he was a man who, you know, was struggling uh, with things at the time. But his dad was dying of cancer, and his dad loved Jesus. And I'll never forget that he talked about his father with this assurance that I didn't know you could have. Mm-hmm. That he said that my dad loves the Lord, uh, and First John says this: that this is God's testimony. He who has who he the Lord that God has given us eternal life. And this eternal life is in his son. He who has the son has eternal life. He who does not have the son of God does not have eternal life. And then uh, John goes on to say that I write this so that you may know that you have eternal life. And he spoke with such assurance that that my dad loves the Lord. The moment when he closes his eyes here on earth, his dad had leukemia, that he will wake up in the presence of almighty God. And, and because of his love for God and, and, and his, and the, the atoning sacrifice of Gina, Jesus, um, Jesus will say, it. Well done. Good and faithful servant. Enter your master's reward. I remember I was going, wow, he knows that at least acts like he really, really knows that. <laughs> yeah. And, um, and that, and, and I never knew that you could know. And I never knew that you can know that you can know that you can know. And, uh, uh, we sp- we spoken at a, at a midget football banquet together. I forget this, and and I you know i had been i had been on the the outside kind of looking in the outside of the Bible study, the outside of the chapel, the outside of the fellowship of the saints, and I was very attractive, and the, and Wolf saw that, and so Wolf you know Wolf was very you know he was closing in you know he he he, he was closing in on me really I, I say I, he was closing in for the kill so to speak, <laughs> and I, he dropped me off at the end of this night that we spoke at this uh, midget football banquet. And he said he goes Tunch, he said. As I, and I remember I, I remember saying, you know, this kind of makes sense. He goes, do you want to pray to receive Christ? I go, no, Wolf, that would be too weird. You know, because I thought Christians were weird. I thought they were goofy. I thought they were weak. And, you know, as a, as a Muslim, man, you're an infidel if you convert to Christ. Uh, you, know, uh, they're, you know, they vote you dead in the family. Uh, you know, there are these tremendous consequences um, socially in the culture that I grew up, or culturally, I should say. Of uh, of converting, so I said. I, I, and then as I was getting out the car, he goes, "Well, don't wait too long. I'd hate for you to die before you had the chance to do that." And I went, "Yeah, man, that's that's pretty interesting." And so I went to my room. I was reading the late great Planet Earth by Hal Lindsey, and it's all about uh, end time prophecy. And I was very intrigued by that. And at the end of the book, Lindsey offers up the sinner's prayer, and you can pray. And I'm in the I'm in my room by myself. I read the prayer. I, I confess that I'm a sinner. Uh, I acknowledge that Jesus is the only way. I invite him into my life to forgive my sins and be my Savior. And uh, that was it. And I remember sitting there going, I, I'll, I'll forget this. I, I said, okay, what now? And, and I think did it take did this prayer take yeah, you know that's right that, that was the question i had um and because i've the lord knew i would prayed many times before uh for different things and that started uh uh this journey um february of 1982 and you know i, I must say i haven't looked back you know uh just very very thankful for god and his mercy to to bring me from Istanbul, Turkey, to Chicago, Illinois, to Terre Haute, Indiana, to Pittsburgh—wow, crazy! That's awesome. Do you have time for? I'll do whatever you want to do, man. I got plenty of time. I have okay. set the time away for um, you. Just talk
0: about your your ministry really in your church. You have a passion for men, yeah. And what's your main message to men, and, and specifically a lot of people that will be listening to this, are young young men? Yeah. So, what's your most passionate message for men?
1: You know, I think that this—that we need each other, guy. You know. Um, uh, walking with Christ is, is is is not for the alone. It is not it is not for the lone ranger. It is for us as men to lock arms together, to one another, to help, to uh, challenge and encourage one another, to help one another, uh, to really do life together. I mean, we, you know, the the proverb said, "There is a way a man. There is a way in a man's heart that may seem right, but in the end leads to death." And, and all that is is self counsel. And rationalization that I can, you know, apart from my brothers, I can rationalize almost anything. But I, but I need my bros to to to help and encourage. Proverbs seventeen seventeen says that um, that a, that a a, a a friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. And Solomon wrote that about David and Jonathan's friendship. And, and David and Jonathan pledged their lives to one another. They, the Bible tells us that they were of one accord, one spirit. And Jonathan gave his sword, his tunic, his shield, his bow, and his spear to David. In other words, Jonathan, as the son of, of King Saul, and really the next in succession uh, to be the next king, acknowledged that David was God's anointed. And so he gave himself fully to uh, to David. I mean, we tend to celebrate David and his deeds and, and as a man of God's own heart, but meant to be me, Jonathan, man. Jonathan, who was a great warrior. Jonathan was a great friend, and Jonathan gave his life away to David. And. And so, uh, and, and so, my challenge to men is: Do you have those guys to lock arms with that are going to help and encourage you? That are going to be there. That are going to give their lives to you. That are going to that are going to pour their life life into your life. And in turn, are you going to pour your life uh, into another? Um, you know the other reason I think is to to uh, challenge each other. Proverbs twenty seven seventeen says this that as iron sharpens iron, so, so one man sharpen another. Well, we need accountability. If I'm acting like an idiot, I need my I need one of my brothers to smack me upside the head and call me into account. But but Doug, that doesn't work without Proverbs seventeen seventeen. I mean, I, I, I can't I can't hold you accountable unless I've given my life to you. Other than, uh, then I, uh, then I just become the sin police. But if I have given my life to you I have earned that right to speak truth into your life and you have in, in turn uh, have earned the right to speak truth into my life so you therefore can hold me accountable uh, we need uh, that that accountability and I think the other uh, the other thing is that um, to me I, I, I fell in love with the body of Christ before, before the person of Christ so I looked at those guys on the Steelers who locked arms with one another and Jesus said by this all men would Know that you are my disciples. That you would love one another. Well, I saw that love, and I was very, very attracted to it. So to think about this: when you see a bunch of guys, they get together and they lock arms, and they're and they're holding each other accountable, and they're encouraging, and they're cheerleading for one another. Well. You know, God, you see that, and God has made that very attractive to others. So if you're on the outside looking in, you don't get it, but you want it. And so you see it, and so, you know, it's deeper than any friendships that I've developed on my college, high school, or NFL football teams. Those were great relations, but you add prayer into this, and you add the spiritual component Uh, the desire of of drawing closer to God and and reading the Word together and praying together and praying for one another and praying for each other's family, there is this intimacy that grows out of that. And it is very, very attractive, and it encourages us to go deeper with our faith in God. You know, because we think about this, the, the other thing I say, that look, God is... God has invited us on this great adventure, man. I love it. I'm an av- I love, I love the whitewater raft. I love the hiking hike the mountains. I love the rock climbing. I love the adventure. Going on vacation, going on a road trip, man. You ask You don't have to ask me twice. I'm ready to go, but I, I I love the adventure. Well, look at this. God has. God has uh, called us on this great adventure. You know, when, when Jesus called uh, uh, Peter and Andrew in uh, Matthew 4.19, he said, follow me and I will teach you to be fishers of men. And they were just cleaning their nets, right? And they just probably just been fishing. They're working on their nets. Jesus walks by, follow me and I'll teach you to be fishers of men. They drop everything and they follow Christ. So, so that invitation on this great adventure, and boy, did Peter and Andrew go on a great adventure with Jesus. Well, that adventure is still that invitation is to us today. Uh, it, it is, and and and what one of you know being involved in God's work is so exciting, and to do it with brothers that you lock arms with, you know, makes it even richer. You know, to be part of something bigger than yourself. And to do it with other men, man. When I, talk, I tell guys, if you're not in this, man, you're missing out. You're missing out a huge. You're missing out a very rich, rich uh, part of life. And uh, and and think about this: that Jesus had the twelve. So Jesus, in his humanity, needed his brothers. He needed the twelve. He poured his life out into them. He preached he taught he gave his life to them and and we see a real intimacy with he and the 12 and then in a deeper intimacy with the three peter james and john and and so much so at the garden when he was burdened beyond uh to the point of death in his, jesus words and sweating blood he he he, he longed for his brothers to, to you know the the three, Peter, James, and John, had the, tw- the, the what was left of the twelve. Obviously, Judas had left. The um, to pray, and and he longed for them to stay awake and pray. And every time he came back, they'd be sleeping. And there was this real kind of brokenness over that. So, you know, if uh, so, we, we so what that tells me is I I am if I am made in the image of God, and Jesus. Is Emmanuel God with us? God here on Earth and in His humanity, and God was and Jesus was one hundred percent God and one hundred percent human at the same time. I don't know how that works, but I know it to be true. That in His humanity, He needed, He desired, He longed for those relationships. So why wouldn't I, uh, in my frail human brokenness, not desire that too, and not seek it uh, if I desired it?
0: That's awesome. We'll close with with it. Oh, two more questions. One will be quick. Uh, what do you want your legacy to be? What do you want to be remembered for?
1: Ooh, that's a really tough question, and I have really been struggling with what I, I um, uh, t- you know, I, I would I would want uh, to be known as someone who loved his God and served Him, uh, and who li- loved his. Uh, loved his family, and who also loved his friends. Uh, So... uh you know that's a hard. I I always struggle with that. I've i really really struggled with that question. But I but I do know this that I want to leave an impact. Uh, I want to leave a godly legacy. That I do know that I want to leave a godly legacy. You know someone once said if you weren't here, would peop, would people know you were gone? Would mm. would, would, would would you be missed? And uh, and that's a great question for all of us to ask about ourselves. That's great.
0: Actually, I'll just I love that. I'll just end with that. Bye. All, right. so. all right, man. Thanks so much. i appreciate your time.